Good musicians giving us a, a lead, enriching our worship, challenging and stimulating. Well, in the light of the sadness of Lionel's death, uh, just to say that these all this service was put together by Thursday, and in many ways it's very timely as we are here tonight. And there is no greater source of comfort for us in all of life than God's Word. Well, we're starting a series tonight, and uh, it's called Songs for the Journey. And the subheading uh, tonight is, Where Can I Get Help? We all need help for the journey. Where can we go? And that's uh, part of the sermon this evening. What we're going to do, you, you will see that um, the, this section of the Psalms, uh, Psalm 120 to 134, uh, contains 16 in total. So each week we're going to take two Psalms together, uh, eight sermons, and uh, just look at these and just try to apply some things it doesn't mean that you can have two sermons in one. Um, my wife said, I think we should finish in good time tonight. And uh, I know she'll give off to me for saying that. But see how we go. So here we are. Uh, songs of a sense. If you bank with Lloyd's, as I do, they have a strap line that says, For the journey. For the journey. And it's interesting that in banks, as Neil in his former life would know that um, when you, most of the time, when you start with a bank, you usually stay with them for a very long time. Some people, most of their life. I banked with Lloyds when I was a student and I'm with them ever since. Doesn't mean I'm happy with them. <laughs> Tame. Lloyd's Bank has more managers than Chelsea Football Club. So um, you tell them all about you and then you go next time there's somebody new there. Such is life. Nevertheless, their strap line is for the journey. It's a clever one. That they say, we're going to be with you. Well, there's a much more assuring theme here, isn't there, than, than the banks. And that is God's word. And the implication, of course, is that this is a song for people who are journeying together. We are pilgrims. We're on a journey. Fellow travellers. We're en route to the heavenly Jerusalem. And there are lots of images of that. Just so that... Uh, we've only got one uh, cross-reference in the sermon, and that is in the book of Isaiah. Just uh, if you turn to this one cross-reference... And then we'll contain ourselves in the two Psalms. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 29. It should come up uh, before you. Isaiah 30 and 29. This idea of um, traveling together, celebrating, singing and commemorating great events in the life of, the, of God's people. So Isaiah 30 and verse 29 says this. And you will sing, as on the night you celebrate 
a holy festival. Your hearts will rejoice as when people go up with flutes to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel. Now the implication of that was, and even though that was one of the, it's called the period of restoration, the people are um, exiled from Jerusalem. Nevertheless, it was a prophetic word that you would do this. You would travel together, you would celebrate, and you would remind yourselves of these great events when God intervened in your life. So in a way, these psalms look back, but they also look forward. Let me give something for you to to think about and see what your thoughts are. See if you agree with me. Just think of this for a moment. that, That the Christian church, whatever its denomination, it's of no consequence really, that the Christian church has largely, in the United Kingdom at least, lost the concept of what we can call processional worship. Processional worship. When I was young... Uh, on certain uh, events, uh, uh, Easter, Pentecost, or Whit Sunday as it was called, we would march. And as we marched, we would sing. And as we sing, people would uh, listen. And you would talk as you, as you would um, go by and engage with people and tell them that this was the day that God sent his Holy Spirit on the church to give it power. And we're out, and so on and so forth can't help but think now what we do is sit at home and watch songs of praise. It's not quite the same, is it? We've lost this concept of processional worship. In many parts of, um, of, of Europe, particularly Western Europe, in Spain and Italy and France and so on, they still celebrate these events, particularly the Catholic Church with great processions. Think of this idea of journeying together, singing together, and as you do, you affirm some of these expressions are, if you like, uh, horizontal. We, yes, it's to God, but it's also to each other. Singing is still a very powerful symbol, even in a culture that is largely a spectator culture. People in our church, hardly some, particularly the young folk, I often try to talk to the young fellows and say, why don't you sing? It's, it's a culture of non-participating, here at least. And yet singing is a very powerful symbol, particularly in the journey of faith. Okay, let's move outside of the church for a moment. Think in the world of sport. Think of uh, national anthems. One of the highlights of the Olympics, you could see uh, and, and when, when the, the national flags were lifted and people were given these medals, it was awesome to hear these anthems. But they, on that occasion, they weren't singing. Take, for example, rugby players. At least when you have the anthem, they sing. Badly, some of them, because they are good rugby players. And um, um, who is it? Pat, you're a South African, and so is... Who else is here? Yeah, Grant, you're sitting very... I don't know why you're sitting so far away from me tonight, but anyway. <laughs> Enkosa Sukaleli. Is that it? Latu? It's an interesting... It's the South African anthem. It's a very... If you were... There are some anthems that come out of um, excellence of music and words, and well-chosen. 
But there are some others that come through the cauldron of suffering. And they seem to capture pathos and a sense of solidarity that here's a people who have been through so much. And when they sing, they convey something. Talking to not the soldier who was interviewed here this morning, to uh, a soldier in Afghanistan. It's when a member of their regiment was killed, that they would all come into Camp Bastion or wherever they were, and they would raise the flag and then their regimental flag, and they would sing and then go back into duty. Singing is an interesting concept, isn't it? And there's something almost wrong about people just being standoffish, being silent, being non-participatory. Why is that? We should ask the question. Culturally, emotionally, spiritually, in every way. I was walking last week through the graveyard one of our young uh, folk um, and said, uh, do you sing? He says, no. I said, yes, you do. No, I don't. I said, yes, you do. You may sing badly. Everybody sings. Everybody. Think of the great revivals. Uh, Songs of Praise tonight was on the Methodist Church and its background. It was cradled in singing. And people learnt their faith. The, the songs were what were called didactic. We sing them today. They were teaching. They were bringing the Bible together in song, in poetry, in an inspirational way. That it wasn't only to inform mind, but to stir the heart. Well, all of that is part of what we're trying to do when we think about these songs of ascent. They are not to be preached on. They are to be expressed in song. And we've done that tonight already uh, when we've been singing these songs. So, finally, this finally the introduction. Um, I know... It is an appealing image, isn't it, of the journey, this idea of um, singing together. An image of the Christian life that isn't something that is simply static. It's not like that. This is something that is progressive. As we grow together, as we grow older together, as we experience together, our joys and our sorrows. There's something very powerful about that. And it isn't something that is set. Let me give some examples of some of the well-known hymns that have stood the test of time. At least three. Amazing grace. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Grace has brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me home. It's a journey. It's a journey of faith. Think of Pauline Durant tonight, sitting at home now as we speak. Normally, she would be here. Think of that hymn, Guide Me, O Thou Great Redeemer. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death, hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. It's a journey. And there it seems to imply a journey into the unknown. It is a bit of poetic license by the hymn writer, 
that he's not actually speaking about death, but going into the unknown, crossing over. And we will end our service with a hymn that we haven't sung here for years, um, Bunyan's hymn, um, Pilgrim's Progress, and he would true Balabi let him. It's been a long time since I sang it. We will sing it. Right. There you are. That's a quick introduction. Now, two points. The first one is this. Psalm 120 is, I suggest to you, a prayer for peace. A prayer for peace. Now, I know you could highlight other things. I, I don't doubt that. But that's what I focused on, and that's what we're going to do. That's, that's the first thing. So, it poses a question. I want to ask you that. And you answer yourself. This is a prayer for peace. Do you consider yourself as a person of peace? Or do people see you as a troublemaker? Because they wouldn't tell you that. Do you consider yourself a person of peace? Have you an experience of cultivating peace in the context of hostility? Because that's exactly what this psalm is about. Cultivating peace between people, being the go-between, Jesus was right, said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace-lovers. You can love peace and just sit down and do nothing. But the peacemakers get in between and are criticized from both sides. Yet there is blessing, if not immediately in the long term, even for the peacemaker. Peace with people. Peace with God. Why do I say that? Well, let's look at the Psalms. About time we came to and let it speak to us. Look at verses 6 and 7. The last two verses, Psalm 120. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. You can get families like that, that are split and torn, who don't talk, who don't even send each other a Christmas card anymore. The Lord will watch over you. Coming, sorry, verse, verse 7, I, I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are of war. What is this? Well, this is what it is. Think about it like this. The psalmist, he is living in a verbal war zone. A verbal war zone. It's like David Striven, who, Captain David Striven, was interviewed here this morning, who at three o'clock tomorrow morning is going to Afghanistan. And he's going to a war zone. And he has to be careful. Well, in a way, this is, this is like that, except it's a verbal war zone. And it's not nice. Sticks and stones break my bones. Names never hurt me. Yes, they do. Much more. Much more. A war zone where you have lies and deceit. Look at verse 2. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. Now, how do we understand this? Well, in the home, in the home, your home, mine, in the church, this church, in the society, the school, college that you go to, where there is, if you like, put it another way, the absence of harmony and peace. 
can live in a war zone verbally. And the longing for peace and unity is, is, is a link in this psalm of a sense. Look, for example, look at Psalm 122 and verse 6 and 7. There it is. You see, this longing, it's innate within all of us, isn't it? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Look at Psalm 125. And verse 4 and 5. Do good, O Lord, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with evildoers, peace be upon Israel. And Psalm 128, and verse 5 and 6, look at this. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem, and may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And uh, the final one in Psalm 133, perhaps the most well-known of all the songs of ascents, where they, you see, you capture this longing, Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. This week is the prayer for Christian unity. We long for it. Nations long for it. Whether it's the literal war zone, as in Syria tonight, the innocent are caught up, or a verbal war zone. So Psalm 20 is a prayer, if you like, it's a peace prayer, a prayer for peace in a hostile environment. And, and deliberately, if you were to look in, a, in a, 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 a reference, these verses 5, Meshech and Kedar are associated with hostility with the people of God. Symbol of hostility in their history. Here is a longing for peace, a prayer for peace. Okay, Psalm 121. It's a psalm of praise, a different rhythm, a different tempo. Now, you know, we must have prayers and praise, highs and lows, laments and celebrations. And the book of Psalms gives us all of this. So we lift up uh, a gear here, Psalm 121. The key to this psalm, I suggest to you then, is verse 2. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And we captured that in our worship, didn't we? I lift mine eyes up to the moment. Where shall my help come from? It's a rhetorical question. My help comes from the Lord. He comes from the Lord. The idea then is of confidence and assertion. The Lord's help is timely, dependable, and durable. We might sometimes feel that we are running on empty. If you've had the experience uh, of going on a journey, Hannah and I had long, long time ago, going driving through the Rockies in Canada with a hired car, 
And I said to folk we were with, this car's a bit sluggish. You can drive for 200 miles and not see a petrol station. And there's bears that can run faster than horses. We ran out of petrol. When you run out on empty, it's quite something, isn't it? And there are Christians like that, just running on empty. What you have in verse 2 is a confident assertion that the Lord's help is timely. It's dependable and durable. The rest of this psalm is just simply to express the presence of God. That he's with us. He's with us. You see that, look at verse uh, 5. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Look at verse 7. The Lord will keep you from harm. He will watch over your life. I was thinking about this with, uh, as, as uh, something that stayed with me after the whole of the Advent period. Uh, the term Emmanuel, God being with us. And when we think about this God being with us, it isn't, it's not like this. I was with you then. Now just watch your step. Nor is it like this. Um, I may be with you in the future, but you, you'd better behave yourself. Don't step out of line. But what Emmanuel is saying with us is this. I am with you not then, not there, but here, always, here and now, in the present. And with that in mind, let me put a question to you as we close. If you've had the experience of phoning like the taxman or inquiring about a pension or your bank details they ask you your address where do you live and then all the other stuff your date of birth and so on mother's maiden name if you don't tell anybody because um, they want it's a security thing where do you live I don't mean what is your address where do you live in your mind, in your spirit? Stay with this now, because with this we're going to close. Where do you live mentally? When the pressure comes on, do you retreat into the past where it's safe, but sterile? Or do you put everything off and wait until the future and do nothing? If you live in the past, and we all have regrets and mistakes, things done and said that ought not to have, it's a hard place. It's a hard place to live. 
And if you do, the Lord says to you, don't go there, don't live there, I'm not there. I'm not there. My name is Emmanuel. It, my name is not, I was. We don't pray to a has-been God, do we? Or maybe, you live in the future. With its problems and fears. And the Lord still says to us, I'm not there. I'm not there. My name is not I will be. But when in your mind, as you sing the Psalms and journey in faith, and live in this moment, and face the issues which all of us uniquely have to face, then it's not so hard. Not so hard. Because the Lord says, I am here. I am with you. That's my name. That's my name. Do you want to know who I am? You remember Abraham's dialogue with the Lord. Moses' dialogue. I am who I am. My name is I am. And can you see this journey? We keep moving. We keep moving. We keep traveling. It isn't, it is not a promise of a trouble-free journey. Not so. But what it is, it is a promise of God's presence being with you and a safe arrival. That for sure. And so, for the journey, the journey of faith, it ends, Psalm 121, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. And we're going to sing this with a hymn that I suspect you haven't sung for a very long time either. The works of John Bunyan uh, were for almost a hundred years, as in the English language, as well known, particularly Pilgrim's Progress, alongside the Bible. And uh, I think there's a generation grown up now that haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, and I suggest that uh, it would be a very profitable read for you. Very interesting. Certainly not boring and challenging.